Overwhelm is also a very important contributor to burnout. And I speak a fair amount now about burnout in the workplace, especially among physicians and nurses. This is, this is a big, big problem. But it's also a big problem at home. I think all of us run so very close to our margin. And we mentioned a bit last week that it has to do with dopamine. Our brain loves dopamine. It is, it is what we want. It's what we love. It's the stimulation that we love. It's the movies. It's the videos. It's the chocolate. It's the food. It's the, it's the conversations, the parties, the ball games. We are pushed forward by the advertising and marketing industry. They love to stimulate us because it allows them to sell us things. But with all that stimulation, we can become like a, like a two-year-old who doesn't want to go to bed. They, they just want to stay up and watch the next movie because somehow your, your brain is telling you you need more stimulation. The answer to your feeling a little bit down is that you need more stimulation, but the truth is that you need less. We all have that two-year-old in us. There is the stimulation, the dopamine, and then there's the, the quieting. The inability to quiet yourself is very highly linked to mental illness. And our society is always pushing us to more stimulation. So the ability to quiet yourself, to teach it to yourself and to your children, is going to be something very important for your relational health. Your relationships are going to have a lot more fights if you're always stimulating. It can be a walk. It can be you know, something without uh, uh, earphones out in nature. Nature is a, is a great place to, to rest and to relax. In fact, the research shows now if you interact with nature, if you actually will touch a tree or a flower, that it has an antidepressive effect. A CD with nature sounds is, is effective. I, I recommend that, you know, getting outside, there's something about being outside. I'll tell you what I try to do as I get outside, is I try to develop gratitude. I really try to, to move into a Thanksgiving at atmosphere or attitude in myself. Because so much of this, first of all, appreciation is a very positive neuro it develops neurotransmitters that are very positive for the brain. It also helps us be more relational and helps us quiet. And you don't usually feel like giving thanks uh, when you're stressed or when you're angry. It's actually much more difficult to begin to give thanks, to get also get, getting your mind off yourself. Because of all this stimulation, our focus tends to be on us. It's too much for us after a while. It's all about me and what, what I want, what I would buy, what I, what I need. Very interesting concept that I learned is that the goal of conversation with your wife, with your friend, with someone on the street, the goal of conversation, we think, is agreement.
if the goal of your conversation is agreement, oftentimes you're going to end up having a problem. I believe that the goal of conversation is understanding. This is a totally different person with a totally different background coming from a whole different family. I want to understand you. Help me see this better. It depends how you ask it. You know, you can say, well, explain that to me or something like that, which is not going to allow them this freedom. I want to see you blossom. I want to see you bloom. I want to provide an atmosphere of safety where I can discover you. I can truly understand how you think. And I don't actually have to agree with you. If you're the different personality type, teach me how that kind of a person would see this event. I'm very interested because I want to be a wise man, a wise woman. And wise people can see things from other points of view, including the view of children, that they're not going to grasp all the nuances. And as we understand them better and seek to understand, we become wiser. What do you think it was that developed that viewpoint? Why do you think this is the correct viewpoint? What, you know, teach me about it. Teach me about you. And I think as we seek to learn from the other person what makes them unique, it also draws us together. There's a very powerful bonding experience. People want to be discovered. We all do. Teach me about you. Teach me how you got that. Let's learn together. I want to provide an atmosphere of grace and safety so that you can blossom and, and be everything that God designed you to be. And the last thing I want to do is to be harsh or critical or judgmental, which would hold you back or keep you from expressing even ideas that are silly that haven't really been worked out yet. The extroverts who seem to have to process verbally before they figure out what they, they think. To be patient with them, to let them process, and all the things that they say aren't to be taken seriously often, you know, but you can ask them. When you start to coalesce your viewpoint, I'd be, I'd be interested, what, what did you come up with now? How do you think about that? Let's talk about that tomorrow. Often as we discuss things, and especially when we sleep, our brain, as we dream, we, we start to become more integrated with our thoughts, with what we feel. And then as we pray together, the tremendous value of, of couples praying together, let's get God's viewpoint on this. This is my viewpoint. This is your viewpoint. Now let's pray together. Let's see what God might show us uh, regarding this situation. I want to talk about one helpful relational tool that I've used, and it's called the problem sandwich. I get this, a lot of this, these things from a psychologist named Jim Wilder. He's up in Pasadena. This is what he was saying about the problem sandwich. First of all, I've got a problem. I want to approach you with it. I sense there's a problem with our relationship. So the first thing you start out saying is, 
why is this relationship meaningful to me? You want to say something positive. Dr. John Gottman also says we need to say, what, five positive things for every critical thing that we mention. So this is, this is part of that. Most of us have a negativity bias. We are listening for the negative. Unfortunately, it, it, it really damages our relationships because most of us, in the name of efficiency, want to get right to the subject. This is the problem. But it's important to set it up. This relationship is meaningful to me. Then we have the problem. This is where the relationship was. This is what I see. This is what I see happening. This is how I'm feeling. Not this is what you're doing. You can mention this when you do this, this is how it feels to me. So it, I'm owning it. Essentially, I am becoming vulnerable. I'm, I'm letting you know where I'm hurting. And then the last thing, the last part of the sandwich, this is how I'd like to see this restored. This is how I, I would like to see when you say this, then you, or I would like you not to say that, or what, whatever, because I think that this would help us have a better relationship. Again, the problem sandwich. This is where the relationship was. I'm enjoying being in relationship with you. I enjoy these types of things. I see this as a problem. And this is how it affects me, owning your part of it. And then this is how I'd like to see it restored. You know, what ideas do you have? Or do you teach me how you see that situation? Teach me about you. I want to understand you. When you do that or say that or act like that, teach me about you. Tell me, tell me what you're thinking about it so that I can learn. Because we, we live in a very judgmental culture. If, if you've missed that, just look at the magazines on the checkout counter. Everyone's got a scandal going on. It is appealing to our sense of judgment. We get to judge as we walk through, our, through the checkout line. We get to judge all of these famous people that have, they're involved in scandals or what have you, or that have facelifts or who knows what they have. We love that. It sells because we love to judge. The Bible has a bit to say about judgment. Judge not that you forgive and you will be Right? The measure that you measure, it will be measured to you. We have to watch our sense of judgment, especially with the people closest to us, because it tends to rub a little easier. What's coming to mind is, it, is that the relationship is very important. We, we are relational beings at our core. So if you're having a relational problem with, especially with your spouse, your child, parent, uh, that is a big problem in your life, and that's going to produce stress. You want to resolve that. Some of them are not resolvable quickly, some of, because of decisions the other person has made. So every relationship takes two people that are interested in working through it. 
but taking a break, if someone wants to take a break, we talked last week, uh, most of us want to dump the truck, get everything out, because it feels so much better. But we do some damage in the relationships when we overwhelm the person. It essentially registers as, I can't trust you to notice when I'm overwhelmed. You keep going, which is a boundary violation. We, we feel attacked. Noticing people are overwhelmed, they may only be able to take smaller bits, especially if they are close to their overwhelm margin and things are going on with relationships in their life. When our relationships are out of balance, we are off balance. We are, we, it is taking a lot of energy for us to move forward. We can stuff that, but we all want healthy, peaceful relationships, especially with those closest to us, which I believe is why you're all here. You all are, have, are motivated to say, I, I want a better relationship. Teach me some techniques and some tools. Why don't we break right there and let's try this. Let's try this problem sandwich with what you can use in a, an example that's, that's happening or you can use something, you can make, take something from the past and maybe something that you decided to just uh, blurt out the problem and now you're going to go back and turn it into a something that will go down a little easier, which is the purpose of this. I'm going to give you, a, I don't know, five minutes or so just to, just to practice with yourselves. Pick an issue that's not a real high tension issue. Pick something that's maybe a little bit smaller. Let's practice doing complimenting. This is what I, first of all, I want everyone in this room to say, this is what I enjoy about our relationship. This is what I've been enjoying lately, in fact, not just historically. Lately, I've been enjoying this. Because when we get tuned into a problem, we forget about a lot of good things that are happening. So I want you to, to start becoming thankful to your, your partner this is what I have been enjoying that you've been doing. And then pick a problem and say, and this is, this is how, this is the way you say, this is how this has been affecting me. And then this is what I, I would love to see you do and then, and then discuss that. Let's take five minutes and do that with each other. Good question. Shame, very, very powerful. Shame is actually necessary for socialization. The problem is that it's so powerful, we use it too aggressively. For instance, the reason that most of the people in the room right now are not with their fingers in their noses and things like that are because at some point, someone has shamed you. And you've recognized this is not, if I want to be around a group of people and I want to be welcome, I can't put my finger in my nose or, or you know, whatever else you, you can imagine. Shame works if it, if it lasts usually less than a minute. If it lasts less than a minute, it's actually healthy, very healthy. But somehow, shame is so powerful, and because most of us have been shamed in our childhood, we love to use it like a club. And so we keep people in shame and make them sit in shame and you know, sit in the corner or whatever it is. And so as they, they sort of grow up feeling shame, they can define it. Guilt is I've done something wrong. 
shame is I, I am something wrong. There is something intrinsically wrong with me. And that is the kind of thing we say to a child who has told a lie. We don't say, you've told a lie. We say, you're a liar. You're going to grow up to be a criminal. We're essentially letting them know, I've given you a character assignment. This is who you are. You're a liar. You're a little pervert because you saw that magazine. You brought that thing home. These are, these are very, very damaging for a child to grow up like that. And honestly, most of us had some of that. And so we understand that the power of shame. False self that Art mentioned is it has to do with when we go through life, usually elementary school, we discover that our real self is not like. They actually want someone else. And we start playing that part. And you know it's your false self with how vehemently you defend it. That defensiveness is showing you that actually may not be the true you. And many of us can't take any criticism, which, which may also be a sign of this, this false self that we're, we're sort of, we've got to keep this image of the tough guy or the, the guy who's got it all figured out or the wise one or I, I know everything. We can't, we're, look, we're all making mistakes. We are all little children. That's what Jesus calls us. We, you can't even get into the kingdom of heaven without being a little child. But we have grown up in a society that says, be strong, be tough, don't make mistakes, because if you do, I will shame you for them. We're going to be talking about the imagination and what you put on the screen of your imagination and how you project into the future and I can tell you that, as, that the word faith and imagination are actually fairly closely linked. They are not the same, but there's a lot of overlap. In the, in the word in the Bible, the heart, the imaginations, the heart, delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart, has a bit to do with imagination. So a lot of us think of imagination as just some sort of fantasy, but I just want to uh, throw out there that it takes a fairly robust imagination to even read the scripture. Right? Jesus shows up and he says, uh, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That would take some imagination. Right? That is not what we see. You, you know, and we have, that have grown up in a Christian culture miss all of this. You start reading Matthew and right away it says, and Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. It just starts off a story like, you're going to have to use your imagination. <laughs> In fact, Joseph was not imagining, and an angel had to appear to him to get him to imagine that that happened. And then we read in the next verse that Joseph then believed. We still have to believe that an angel appeared to him. You see how much, and then an angel appears to the wise men. They see something in the stars, and they get on their camels because they're imagining there's something... It's all about where your imagination is. So your faith and what you put on the screen of your mind. I've got some resources also on my, on my website, and you can write this down. I've got some meditation resources, some scriptural meditation resources I've been looking or working on.
drdlevy.com. I've got a number of singing, breathing meditations. So those of us who were uh, wondering about how do I quiet myself, I use these every day. I've really made them for me, and I'm just kind of putting them up if other people want to use them. How do I quiet myself? So as I listen to this scripture, and I'm actually, you may be interested, I'm actually singing these little bits of Bible verses because I'm trying to do every possible thing so that that will be sticky in your mind. So you'll be start to hum this little tune throughout your day. I may sing some of them, and then I will actually, there are breathing cues and smiling cues in there because as we smile, our brain takes in the information better. So you'll breathe and you'll smile, and some of them I have reflections at the end. Recently I put up two, I call them imagination exercises. They are, there's the woman at the well and then Zacchaeus, because I want you to imagine yourself interacting with Jesus. Because the stuff that we see on the movies and the videos and our YouTubes is filling our imagination with exactly what the person that wrote that script is putting on our imagination. We're letting a lot of stuff, and you operate out of your imagination. I want to put some healthy things interacting with Jesus to have you imagine those things. I really believe that this is an assignment that God has given me to say, help my people, help their imagination. They're unable to imagine that I'm good. They're unable to imagine there are good things in their future, that I am going to help them. I'm going to be with them at the time of the test. Many of us, as we go into the future, we have anxiety because we see ourselves absolutely alone. That God is not out there in the future. He Maybe he's here. I can see he was in the past, but somehow we go to the future and we're alone. And I'll finish there.